This is the GOSAP Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness for February 2022. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. Thank you for joining us. First, we hope you are still taking the necessary precautions to keep you, your families, and your community safe from COVID-19. We know the threat is ongoing, so please take the steps needed to fight the pandemic. We hope to get our podcast schedule back on track after a few disruptions over the past two years. Now on to our primary focus, emergency management. And unfortunately, Louisiana wasn't given a pass for 2021, despite major events in 2020 and the ongoing pandemic efforts. Hurricane Ida, which currently ranks as the fifth costliest hurricane in history, struck Louisiana on August 29th near Port Fouchon. Severe damage from this Category 4 storm impacted Louisiana and much of the eastern half of the country. Here in Louisiana, it created a massive housing emergency due to the sheer destruction in areas closest to the coast. That created a unique opportunity. Most in emergency management are familiar with FEMA's direct housing programs following a major event. But in the fall of 2021, FEMA offered Governor John Bell Edwards and GOSEP a pilot program to address survivors' housing needs in a more efficient way. The Hurricane Ida Sheltering Program is the first-ever state-operated shelter program for hurricane survivors using travel trailers based on a non-congregate or one-family-per-unit basis. The state has leased in more than 4,000 households in trailers. That means more than 11,000 people are now benefiting from this pilot program, which was created and activated in October. The state program has helped speed up placement and installation of these units while working in conjunction with FEMA's traditional housing programs, and it could be a model for future events. With more on this first-of-its-kind program, new GOSEP director Casey Tingle joins us now by phone. Casey, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. It's a privilege to be a part of this. Now, if you can, take us back to that September, early October window and tell us how the negotiations for this shelter program started up. You bet. So if we go back to, um, you know, two or three weeks after uh, Hurricane Ida had made landfall and we were in the midst of some post-storm sheltering uh, across the state, uh, we had, um, in partnership with FEMA, activated their hotel sheltering program and uh, we're looking at ways to house first responders and other critical employees. There were a number of, of efforts going on related to you know, post-disaster housing. And what became clear from local officials and, and local elected uh, leadership was the need to, to try to find ways, particularly in the coastal areas, um, for people to try to get back home uh, in some form or fashion. And we really didn't have an effective way to do that. And talking to FEMA and looking at what their temporary housing program that involved mobile homes and travel trailers looked like, they were really looking at um, a Thanksgiving timeline to be to begin rolling out those first units and 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 more by Christmas. And you know, just in kind of the collective decision making process, there 
we just felt like we we could do something better than that and something quicker than that. And FEMA, to their credit, worked with us kind of on taking the existing sheltering policy for non-congregate sheltering, which we had utilized for Hurricanes Laura and Delta the previous year with hotels, and tweaked it so that we could, under FEMA sheltering authority, use travel trailers, pull behind trailers to be able to do that. And so FEMA, to their credit, you know, was was thinking creatively about how how they could turn on additional options there. Uh, and we very quickly then transitioned to what would it look like to stand this program up and really starting from scratch, put the pieces in place that would allow us to execute and start delivering you know, those units in, in weeks as opposed to months. And, um, you know, thankfully we were able to, to, you know, to gather the right team and get the right expertise on board to be able to do that. One of the things that's, that's kind of difficult when you're talking about these types of programs is the public really doesn't understand sometimes how these programs work, whether they're handled at the local level, the state level, or the federal level. Housing missions after an emergency typically are handled by FEMA. Is that is that a correct way to phrase that? Yeah, it, it is. There are certainly things that we all do as part of that puzzle and trying to piece things together. But when you've got a catastrophic event like Hurricane Laura was or Hurricane Ida was this year and some of the larger storms that we've had in the past and even the, the 2016 flood, when you're talking about thousands of, of families being out of their homes and, and sometimes for lengthy periods of time, there's very little capacity at the local and the state level to address that um, by ourselves. And so we really do look to our federal partners for their help with that. And that's really where their authorities and law are kind of determined. And what we've done this year, I think what we've been able to unlock a little bit is using the best of the federal system, which is, you know, allowing the federal government to reimburse and really be part of the funding process as opposed to having to own all of the implementation process and letting our local decision makers and our state officials um, be more in the driver's seat as it relates to implementation. And um, I think that's a best practice moving forward. And from a state standpoint, uh, we know that this program, you know, really focused on those areas that were just devastated. Like you talk about a major category uh, four near category five, you know, impacting the coast. And so this program's kind of evolved over the past couple of months, too. Could you kind of describe how that's gone and, and what the ultimate goal will be here? Sure. So it's evolved in a number of ways, not the least of which is as we sort of uh, begin to plan for its initial rollout and standing it up, we didn't have a lot of experience to go by in terms of what we would actually, what it would actually start to look like. So um, initially, we thought that the quickest way to roll this out was to to try to find areas that we could deploy a number of units on the same, you know, empty property, for example. And, and very quickly, we realized in talking to our local officials that the impacted residents really needed to be back closer to home. And in many cases, the the homes themselves or the property themselves, while the structure was significantly damaged, the, the property was able to support the unit. And so whether that was in the driveway or the front yard or something like that. So 
very quickly working with our local partners, we realized that was the way that the majority of these were going to be deployed. Uh, and so that that has pretty much worked out well. Um, I think some of the questions have been uh, in terms of taking vacant land and making um, some sort of an RV park out of it so that we could do a number of these as opposed to one by one. Uh, that's a complicated process too. And in and, and the timeline and the details to be worked out, we've not done very many of those. So most of ours have been been able to be installed on someone's personal property um, and we've wor worked through some other options uh, as well. I think some of the challenges have been that as because this is sheltering, there's really not clear eligibility criteria um, to be to be defined here by by the federal government. And so we had to work through kind of what that would look like. And um, while it is somewhat vague, our priorities were clear from the governor is to address the areas of the largest need and do it um, as quickly as we possibly could, looking at Thanksgiving and Christmas as real, you know, important timelines to be able to get, um, you know, thousands of people back closer to home as opposed to, to hundreds. And so those were kind of sort of our organizing principles as we went forth was where is the need and, and how can we apply speed to this process um, and, and thankfully, we were able to work through the challenges to be able to do that to a large degree. You kind of you kind of hit on uh, some of the things that was it, that, that were in our next question. Any other potential pitfalls or challenges you see popping up? Well, I think um, as it relates to this mission, we were really focused on only five or six, to some extent, parishes. So we were not looking at the entire impacted area. Um, and, and perhaps in future missions, that's something that we that we will have to work through is how do we, um, you know, how do we look more holistically as, as opposed to just looking at where the, the greatest need was. We wanted to be careful not knowing what the supply chain looked like and what our ability to um, be able to purchase these units in, in quantity would look like. We wanted to, to, to try to set, you know, reasonable expectations of, of what we would do. Um, I think there are lots of room for improvement um, and, and ways that we will be able to recommend some changes to this moving forward that will make us better. I, I will say that as we as we proceed into next hurricane season um, and, and, and into the spring, you know, severe weather season, um, it is a challenge to know that we've got so many um, of our residents that are in uh, these temporary housing uh, solutions because of because it remains vulnerable to those kind of weather events, uh, just as people that are are back in their home without you know with a blue roof or something like that on it. I think the larger point is there's a great deal of vulnerability in our communities, whether it's southwest Louisiana or southeast Louisiana, heading into the spring severe weather and hurricane season next year. That puts additional pressure on our preparedness planning. No doubt about that. Um, one of the things that we've talked about several times on this podcast is uh, many of the steps taken by GOSEP in Louisiana after major disasters at times becomes models or, or becomes a policy that other states use. Do you see this type of uh, shelter program potentially becoming one of those models? I do. We've had some very helpful conversations with our FEMA partners. We had uh, a team from FEMA headquarters in the state um, 
last week looking at these programs, particularly looking at post-disaster housing uh, opportunities and asking us a lot of questions about how did it work for us and, and what did we do to, to implement and, and those sorts of things. So we very much, while we're you know certainly primarily focused on delivering for the survivors and the families that impacted by Hurricane Ida, first and foremost, we always had an eye towards the future in terms of if we if we can demonstrate capacity and success with this approach, that it would give us an opportunity to, um, you know, push for this being an option or something like it being an option in the future. And we believe that those conversations are going to be helpful. Uh, that doesn't mean it will be exactly the same and wouldn't have some changes to it or some uh, improvements that we might all collectively recommend. But in terms of looking at what you do uh, following a large storm like that that's impacted so many of our residents and, and their housing, um, we need more tools and not less. And so we think this is a helpful piece. There aren't any solutions that really solve everybody's problem. And so you're really trying to figure out where additional options can come from. And we think this one has been particularly helpful. And we know there have been conversations at, at, at every level talking about this program. And, and, and again, this program didn't exist before, you know, the first couple of weeks of recovery. If you could talk to us ab about the process and, and why did it take several weeks to maybe see the first trailers get, get uh, installed around and, and what all's involved in that process? I think we received the policy memo from FEMA sometime around the third week of September um, that articulated what we could do and how we could do it uh, at a pretty high level. So we quickly moved from receiving that memo, and, and to be clear, we had received a draft from FEMA, so we had some idea of what they were thinking, to a very expedited procurement, uh, competitive procurement for a firm to manage the program for us, a firm that had experience working in disaster housing in the past and knew some of what these processes would look like. Uh, so so that was expedited. Our team here at GOSEP just you know, just jumped into action and um, so proud of of all of the efforts that they did to try to do this as quickly as possible. So once that firm was on board, then we moved into what does intake look like? How are we going to let people know that this program exists? And how are we going to receive their information and their interest so that we can better evaluate um, their need and, and delivery um, of units you know, to those cases. So we moved into the intake process and stood up a call center, uh, a website so that we could take that information and, and act on it. Uh, and then subsequent to that, we procured uh, companies that could do the hauling of the units and the installation of the units. Um, we went into the procurement of the units themselves. And in both of those cases, we, we probably procured from uh, 10 or more vendors in both cases uh, to help support this mission. And then we went into the site inspection process of having inspectors out in the field, looking at the, the properties of those that had applied and trying to figure out would their property be um, feasible to install the unit. And so from that point forward, it took a little bit of a ramp up to both get the units in place and get the contracting capacity to be able to deliver them and then once that process started and went on for a couple of weeks, uh, the ball really started rolling to where now uh, 
Um, you know, I think at our height on average, we were deploying over a hundred units a day and being able to, to lease in families and hand over the keys to, to, to somewhere around 50 or 60 families a day. Um, and, and so that's really kind of where we got to so that we were, you know, by Christmas, looking at around 2,500 families um, that had this housing uh, on their property or, or had access, had the keys to these units and had someplace uh, safe and dry uh, to sleep at night with a shower and, and the ability to, to cook a meal and that sort of thing, as opposed to, to living in a hotel or living in their car or something else. So we're very happy that as we got the momentum in place that we were able to maintain that and really take that through the month of December in uh, the month of January, but it did take a couple of weeks to get all of the logistical pieces in place to be able to do that. I think it's important for the public to understand that it was more than just, you know, you think about an RV trailer and you can hook it up to the back of a pickup or an SUV and kind of haul it into place. But there were there were many many steps involved in that process. You know, from from making sure that they were installed properly to the the sewage hookup, utility hookups, and everything else. So we greatly appreciate your time today. I know those of us here at GOSEP understand the challenges with recovery coming up, not only from this event, but uh, from some of the other events that have that have hit us over the past couple of years. So we appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for the information today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank GOSEP Director Casey Tingle for joining us. You can find more information on emergency management and emergency planning at getagameplan.org. We also want to thank producer Troy Perez and the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at DonateLifeLA.org. They also have a podcast titled The Gifted Life Podcast. You can find more on most of the topics we talked about today by following GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, get a game plan. On behalf of the staff at GOSEP, thanks for joining us. We hope to have a new episode available next month. This podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.